Alright, hello. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm a little behind. I'm re-recording this episode, essentially. Something I said I didn't think I would do. Uh, yeah, I started on this topic and um, was not making any sense whatsoever. And it turns out I just needed uh, some sleep. So it's early in the morning, but I, I needed to sleep uh, to be able to maybe talk about the subject. I tried it late last night and it did not work. Um, but I'm going to just... I had a conversation with a friend last night. Um, a friend that I've known for uh, 20 years. It's awesome. Um, I didn't think we had we went back that far, but we did. We do. Uh, shout out Steven. He just got promoted to colonel uh, in the U.S. Air Force stationed out in Georgia and is in town on doing some uh, doing uh, in town for a conference um but yeah we love the family they're great people and yeah known them for a long time had a really interesting conversation that that brought up something that I did want to uh, touch on I guess or get out it's that's that's really what this is <laughs> me getting stuff out <laughs> uh I'm going to start with a scripture, actually. I think the, the inspiration came from a scripture initially. Uh, Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. Um, hmm. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Uh, and then it goes off into that, uh, the rest of it, where Cain asks Abel to go out to the field and he kills him. Uh, the One of the things that came up last night was, came from this passage, but I, I can't, I can't not read this passage without mentioning just... Uh, there's a there's a lot there's a there's a lot more packed into this story than I think historically I'd ever given it credit for and um, I'm not going to attempt to make the same full case that he that Jordan Peterson does with this but I will say I need to go on record and say that Jordan Peterson's case uh, or, or take on this story in particular has change the way I approach faith, I will say. Um, this, among other things in the Old Testament, but uh, yeah, Jordan Peterson does does a whole run on the, the Genesis passages from Adam and Eve up, up through this one, but this one in particular, um, I think his, his take on it, uh, or his contribution to what, to the meaning of this passage has added value to my spiritual understanding of things uh, in ways that I did not think was possible. So 
I would encourage you to go look that up if you if you are on that. Um, but I'll, I mean, a, a tidbit. I, I think what's interesting is this is the story of the first humans. I think the case to be made is that Adam and Eve were not the first people. Adam came from dirt. Eve came from a rib. Uh, I don't. I don't think those. Those are. That's the human thing. I think the human thing is this: is these are the first people that came from people, and the first story we have of humans is us murdering each other and being jealous and being rejected by God. Uh, our, our, our sacrifice and our work being rejected by God for no apparent reason and then us being jealous um, and taking it out on our brother. Um, I think that is probably more akin to the story of humanity, which is why it's in the scripture. It's That's what makes it more true. I think it's just happened. I think, And part of that, part of the contribution that Jordan Peterson makes is that this, this story hasn't stopped happening. That's what makes it a, a holy story, I think, um, or or at least a, a story that should live in a in a text like scripture, is that it doesn't stop happening actually, as a descriptor of our our inclinations. But <clears throat> that is beside that is beside the point. Uh, completely besides the point. The the point uh, is <laughs> after Cain kills Abel. Uh, God say, God confronts Cain and asks him where Abel is, and he says, well, the, Abel's blood speaks to me. Um, I think this translation said his, his blood cries out to me. Um, and I think where we were kind of just talking through is is lineage and heritage and um, what's what information is carried in the blood, in your blood, in, in DNA, but obviously not just how you look, but I, I think decisions you make and who you are, uh, in character. And I think he, he had gone on a study of, of some of the negatives of that. I think in church, we would call that, um, was it gener- it's not generational sin. It's like a generational curse or whatever. Um, you know, that's a tough, that's a, that's a tough topic, um, to kind of, Broach. It's, uh, there's a lot there, and I don't know that it's completely fair um, for everybody. But I think there's something to it, and I think what where he and I were talking, what he and I were talking about was not necessarily the negatives of it, but the positives. And it got me thinking about. I think one thing I do need to express um, on a recording is how grateful I am that I had the parents I had. Um, my mom passed away in 2012, short battle with cancer. Um, to have her around these days would, would be amazing. To have had her around the last 10 years would, would have been amazing with, with the kids and everything I've what we've been going through and everything else. Um, but I'm glad to have had her as long as I had her, um, and my dad too. And like, yeah, my, my father is such a unique man 
and at this age it's so it's such a blessing to me that i had him as a as a father in the like uh, in the upbringing years especially i mean you know that it diminishes over time influence just because everybody lives their own lives and has to figure out their own battles and and all that stuff but i think with i'm equating both my parents together because it was sort of the same thing um they're such such different people um but we're both they had they both had the gumption to do to leave their land to leave india and come to the states but not just sort of come here and um exist they came here and made friends and were magnetic personalities they were both always the life of the party um Everybody wanted them around if you needed anything, if you wanted anything to be done or done well, my, my parents would do it. They would knock it out. Um, I think one of the things that was a delineator too, that my sister even brought, you know, brought up in conversation at one time, as far as our heritage, uh, again, all of my life has been spent in church, uh, for better or for worse. It has. And I think mostly for better there, there is some, there are some things there that you know, when you spend this much time um, in a church, you take a lot of things for granted and also maybe learn uh, learn some lessons backwards. I think that would be the case for me. Um, but uh, when in church, tiny church too, that we, we grew up in, my dad was the pastor of, um, you know, we were stage people. And, and that's not a it's not an arrogance. Like, uh, we were like set apart. It, it, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I, my parents were the kind of people that were not afraid to step up into leadership. And we weren't the kind of people who were going to do the stuff, you know, behind, behind the scenes. Uh, I'm saying this wrong. Um, I'm still tired. Uh, we were the kind of people who, if there was an opportunity, if there was uh, a need for something to uh, be led from a leadership standpoint, my parents would do it. And I think that influence on my sister and I to be bold and to, to use our voice and to raise our voice and to step in and to lead and influence things, I think I can't, um, I can't speak enough about. Um, and I, I took it for granted, didn't really notice it, um, as a kid growing up. Um, but I think looking back for sure, I think that's a factor. Um, few, I've, I've been back to India a, hand, a handful of times, I mean, probably close to 10 times, I think in my, in my life, I, maybe more, honestly, there's a few of those trips that I, I don't quite remember, but, um, I went back, uh, this is a trip that happened, I don't know how many years ago, um, and I was going to visit my dad, and I stopped in New Delhi, I had a layover, most of those trips, you you have a layover in New Delhi, or you stop there anywhere, and um, my my uncle lives in New Delhi, and he he owns uh, actually a portion of the Muslim quarter um, in New Delhi, he, a couple apartment complexes, like, yeah, sort of his whole block he, he owns. He's a doctor. And um, he, he's, he's, he's Muslim, 
Um, he's, he's actually an Islamic apologist. Um, led to some very interesting conversations on that trip. Um, but one of the things, one of the stories he told me is he, you know, I went and sat with him and auntie made me, made, made this incredible dinner and we're in this apartment complex that he owns and we walk around, we walk through this 800 year old mosque. Um, he, he runs a practice as, as an, as a Muslim, he runs a, a full medical practice where he just opens the doors to anybody who needs treatment. Um, he sits in his, in the desk, they come in and they shuffle and they file in and it's pay what you have on the way out. That's, that's what he's doing. And it's in this, yeah, in New Delhi. He just, it's, it's all these people, nobody has, what's a, what's health insurance. I mean, it's a, it's a developing nations, third world country. Um, they don't have it. Um, and he's doing it out of a religious bent to, in many ways, earn his way into heaven. And that was part, part of the uh, argument we had was, did Jesus not say, um, make draw a line between the sheep and the goats as to who is going to make it into heaven and who isn't and who is going to make it into heaven is based on what you do for the poor. And it's yes, you know, and he, you know, I think many Muslims reject the teachings of Paul as far as posture of heart and belief in Jesus and all sort of things. But, um, but they, they, they respect, but he's doing this out of, out of response to the words of Jesus as a Muslim, which is very interesting, long conversation. Didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but he was telling me the story that, uh, when, when they were growing up, so my uncle's name was Fuzzle, F-A-Z-A-L. Uh, my dad's name is Fiz, F-A-I-Z-Z-Z in uh, British English, which is the lot, that's the area that came up in, was the colonial British era. Um, if, if they weren't number one in their respective class, they were kicked out on the street. That, that was the rule. Um, both of them, if you weren't first in your class at all times, we're kicking you out. And it's not an exaggeration for what I understand, especially in that era, we're talking the fifties, sixties in, in India pro- probably would have happened. Um, yeah. And they were both number one. <laughs> they never got kicked out. They were both one, um, in Calcutta, India, there's, there's a school that was planted. You know, my, my dad came to faith under a missionary, by the name of Mark Buntaine, and Mark Buntaine started, he's a Canadian missionary, started a school in Calcutta, India. Um, and that's that's how you would do it. I think even now that the approach to missions is that you, a lot of times, if you don't, you can't just come in and start, you don't just preach the gospel in the streets. You have to have a infrastructure. Um, and the way that you would do it then and, and now is you, you build a school. And in fact, in that time, especially, you build the best school. Um, and so they built the best school in Calcutta, beautiful big you know building in in central calcutta um and they they built the school and because it was the best school around with the with the best teachers and the best education you know my my um dad and his brother they would go there they went to that school they got sent to that school um and to this day you can see his name inscribed etched into the wall as valedictorian or whatever, number one on the graduating class in that from 1960, whatever. It's kind of an amazing thing. But back to the original point, that that is the heritage that I have. Um, you know, when I think about our last name, 
I think because of the type of people my parents were, specifically my dad, but both of them, um, there is a weight there and there's a responsibility to me to uh, honor that name and or at least to live up to it. And and that can create some problems. Like I'll, I'll give anybody that for sure. You can see it's not hard to make that jump that living under some sort of pressure to do something it's not can be unhealthy at times. But, but the fact that I have that, I think I just, I probably took for granted and I'm, I'm, I'm at some point and I'm grateful, very grateful that that is my DNA. Like my, my parents left India. Like, so my dad, dad, number one in his class, always the top highest education was an athlete, all this, you know, left country in the seventies to come, come to the U S he has two PhDs. Um, came here, but yeah, didn't come here and just like sort of hide. Um, they came here and decided to be leaders. I, I don't know how many immigrants, you know, that come over and then decide to lead in the new country. Like, that's wild. Um, he came here, finished his education, made a bunch of friends all over the country. All these people love my parents everywhere. Um, and then, you know, senior pastor of a church in Houston, Texas, and again, in, in the 80s, 90s, I mean, it's funny. That's a funny thing. Like, oh, the immigrants are going to start a church in Texas. It is funny. But after all the humor subsides, it's kind of crazy Like that you would even attempt that. Um, but that's the kind of people they were. It was like, nope, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And just put aside any of the weird stuff, you know, or any of how they thought people might view them and did it, you know, like, oh, do it. Start the church. And built a beautiful little community down there for 11, 12 years. Um, I mean, that, and then after that, ends up becoming, he's the um, president of a Bible college for a little bit. Um, and then starts what is the largest or, full-time orphanage network in the world. You know, that's, that's my dad. That, like, that level of energy and um, smarts and charisma, you know, that's, that's what's in the blood. That's what's in the blood. My mother was, uh, also sort of the same, always a stage charismatic person. She won, from what I understand, she won like a national award for like as a pianist in India. She was an incredible piano player, like incredible. She could just sit down and rip. Um, and yeah, just like, you know, casually talented folks that was just, that was my mom like she could sew and she could bake and she ran music programs and um let me drink coffee right into the mic um yeah just uh I, i'm thankful for the heritage and i know not everyone has that and i know a lot of people actually probably have to spend their energy overcoming their heritage or counteracting it. And, um, I, yeah, I get that. That just wasn't, that hasn't been my experience. Um, and I am grateful for that, that I had parents that, I mean, I, I was raised in church under strong leadership, level-headed leadership. Um, <clears throat> we grew up in a, I, I also, I'm grateful that we grew up in a particular denomination and my dad even then wasn't 
overly loyal to any denomination to the point of um, sacrificing like family theology for it. And I, you know, I'll probably hesitate to give specific stories just because I don't want to demonize anything um, on a microphone too heavily, but just wise, you know, wise man. Um, and my mother was very caring, but very artistic, like extremely artistic, um, would procrastinate to the very last nanosecond to do anything that was, that she would had a creative output for, she would absolutely procrastinate and wouldn't be able to do any work until the pressure was on. She started a, a side like cake baking business thing. Um, she was really good at it. She would make these amazing cakes, but, um, you know, a wedding cake, you know, it's like a six tier wedding cake, big thing with like fondant icing over it and, you know, all, and it would like the, you know, the wedding is the next day at 1 PM or something. And it's the day before at midnight. And she's like, well, I guess I better, I'm going to start now. Like she would start baking the cake at midnight, stay up all night, do it, finish it, complete it. Then go like, you know, shower, get ready and then deliver the cake. But you know, um, just standard artistic, uh, leaning, like has to procrastinate and can't focus until the all of the pressure of the world is on them to actually um, execute and then uh, execute at the highest level, execute it in a way that uh, nobody wouldn't think otherwise. But, you know, I, I just think that's the, that's where I'm at the conversation. I suppose one of the things I do feel like I want to process out loud, I suppose in a room where there's nobody here to look at me is how uniquely amazing both my parents were and their journey um, and all that they did to get to the States and then did when they got to the States. Um, I think it's nothing short of incredible. Uh, somebody told me my podcasts were too long. So you know what? In that spirit, I think that's it for today, folks. Bye. Bye.